We are going to be in Mark again, of course. Uh, we're marching on. I don't know how. I don't know when we exactly we. I guess the first of the year, correct? So we're uh, chewing it bit by bit. <laughs> I have, well, well, we will finish up the second chapter today, and we will also consider the first six verses in chapter three. Now. We're going to start off in verse 23 of chapter 2 because, uh, 20, I said 23, correct? Yes. We will be there even though I think some of that was covered last time, but it all connects with the verses that we will be dealing with, so we'll kind of take a little short look back and, and go from there. But uh, before we get started though, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to manifest His presence among us because His manifest presence is something that we cannot take for granted. This is the Lord's house, amen? This is the building that has been set aside for the public worship of His people and the proclamation of His gospel. But at the same time, just because we're in the building doesn't mean His manifest presence is here. So let's pray and seek His face. God, we do stand before you with nothing to offer you but an empty vessel. And Lord, I acknowledge this morning that if you don't come down and anoint this meeting, anoint your people, give us holy, righteous ears to hear, give us believing hearts to not only hear, but to go do what the Word tells us to do. God, if you don't anoint my mind, my heart, my voice, God, this is an exercise in vain. And Lord, we don't need to be here because it's of no eternal benefit. But God, if you're among us, we can leave this place saying that it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. It was good to be together. It was good to hear from heaven, to have our souls nourished once again and to be, to be fed from that manna that's on high. And that God, um, it will help us to cast out the stumbling blocks that the world and the devil and our own flesh constantly cast before us. So Lord, we just ask in the name above all names this morning, the name of Jesus, clear our hearts and minds from the clutter and from the, the veil that is so quickly descends down upon us if we, if we allow it to. And God, uh, deliver us this morning from ourself. And may we listen to you, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's start here in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. And we'll kind of pick up with this thought. My, I titled this message this morning, Life and Liberty or Lockdown. It's our choice, right? So let's go to the fields with our Lord this morning and His disciples. It says in verse 23, And it came to pass that He went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And His disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto Him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And He said unto them, have you never read what David did when he had hungered and when he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him? 
And now he went into the house of God, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now we're going to pause there. And we'll pick up in our text later on because there are two, to me, there's two main divisions in the passage of Scripture that we're going to consider today. Both have to deal with the Sabbath day. And I, and I will say this, this is a very important point in the, our Lord's ministry on this earth and in His life, but because from this point on, was really when the Pharisees and the religious, the scribes and the, the Sadducees and all these different groups, this is really when they jumped on him with both feet and wanted him dead. From then on, everywhere he went, they were constantly watching him. They were constantly looking for something that they could accuse him of. They were constantly trying to trip him up with questions, make him look bad, put him in a put him in a, in a tight place where he couldn't get out. And he, of course, he always eluded them because he's the Lord of glory. He's far more intelligent than everybody on this planet put together. And he had no problem answering all the division and all the other junk that they were throwing before him. But this has to deal with, number one, they ask him, uh, why are they doing what is not lawful? And my first main thought is simply this, and this is kind of elementary, but I'm simple. God's laws always protect and provide. They never bring harm. See, the, the enemy would have us believe this morning that God's laws are to keep us from something good that God is withholding from us. Isn't that what the enemy did to Eve in the garden way back, the first man, the first woman. What did he say to her? Did God really say that? God's trying to keep something from you, honey. He doesn't want you to have all the benefits that you, you should be receiving. You see, you see how deceptive and how good that sounds if your spiritual perceptors aren't in tune with the Word of God? Because the Bible says... There's not one good person among us. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We all want things our own way. We like Burger King Christianity. Have it your way. Amen. You don't like pickles? We'll take them off. You don't like cheese? We'll take it off. If you don't like egg on your, your toaster in the morning, your bacon toaster, we'll take it off. We're all that way. But see, God's laws aren't that way. They're not set up that way. We serve a good Father. Can I get a testimony to that? We serve a good God. Do you actually think that He would tell you something that was not for your eternal benefit? We can trust Him. I'm thankful this morning for the law of gravity. It's an unnoticed law, a physical law, but you know what? What happened? We just all float off into space. Now, if you abuse the law of gravity, bad things happen, amen? You can't jump from a building and expect God to suspend the law of gravity just for you. 
There's gonna, whatever goes up must come down. There's a lot of laws that God puts, but just like a small child when he's in the home of his parents and being brought up at home, there's a reason God doesn't let little children run around loose. They don't know what's good for them yet. And we in our feeble attempts, we're not perfect parents either. There's no earthly parent that's perfect, but our Father is perfect. He always knows what's best for us. He's always out there. So they're saying, you're making a public spectacle out of this. These guys are doing something that is not lawful. And here's how the Lord addresses them. And um, he's, he's speaking of what took place in 1 Samuel 21 when David was on the run from Saul before he became king. And he's running for his life and he's, he's got, uh, I think it, at that time he probably had a couple hundred men with him, maybe some more. I, I'm not just as familiar with it at right now as I should be. But basically they're on the run, they're famished, and he comes to the priest and he says, look, we're starving, have you got anything? He said, all I have, David, is the showbread, and David eats that bread. And so our Lord lays this account out. He says, have you never read what David did? When he had need, and that, I looked up that word need. You think it's a simple word? I don't need to look that word up. But see, words many times have deeper meanings than we dig into. We take the English language for granted, but would you, would you agree with me the English, English language is always in transition nowadays? There are certain words that have changed the meaning several times just in my lifetime. Take the word hoe, for instance. H-O-E. It used to be an instrument to go chop weeds with, and then it became something else several years ago, and then now it's something else. Kids today don't know what I meant by a gooseneck hoe. My daddy said, go get you a good gentle one. It's going to be with you all day long. I know what that word means. <laughs> but you see, the word, that word need in this account means employment. That is an affair or it's an occasion. It's a demand. So I think what our Lord was saying here, listen, I made these laws, Right? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I did not create man for the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath for man. David is my man. The Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. Now we all know how terrible his sins were. The Bible is very uh, explicit about that. It doesn't, that's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't hide anything from us. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly, and all in between. It's there for us to see. But in spite of his sin, in spite of all those things that David did, the Bible still says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so God saw his need because God was the one employing David for the work that he had laid out before him. So you know what he did? He said, I'm not going to prosecute you according to the letter of the law. I'm going to judge you by the spirit of the law. And he said, David is a free man. Isn't that something? Isn't that good? If God judged us this morning by the letter of the law, where would you be? Where would I be? But you see, through the eyes of Christ, 
if we will just come under the fount, if we're washed in the blood, if we confess our sins, we have a faithful Father who is just and righteous to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He overlooks my ignorance. Hallelujah. He overlooks those things not because sin is nothing, but because sin has been done away with through Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. David knew what it felt like to be justified by faith and not judged according to the letter of the law. Because remember what Nathan the prophet told him when he had that little confrontation with him? And he pointed, after all that time, over a year, David just sat there and it wallowed in it. Never would come clean with it. And Nathan comes in and puts his finger on it. And what did he tell him? God's not going to kill you, David. Hallelujah. You deserve to be dead. You deserve judgment. But God sent mercy. He's not going to kill you. Now, did, he ha- did that do away with the consequences of David's actions? No, indeed. David spent the rest of his life, I'm sure, looking back and going, that was the greatest mistake of my life. But God is good. He's faithful. He's just. He put his sins away. And so what he's telling us here, if you're employed by me, I'm going to use the law not against you. I'm going to use the law to meet your need. I was not made for the Sabbath. You were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. And by the way, what they were saying wasn't true anyway because God never said they couldn't go through the field, the grain fields and take a little bit for their own nourishment. In fact, you don't have to look at it right now, but jot down Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25. The law allowed anyone to go through someone else. You could go through your neighbor's vineyard, pluck you a few grapes, Eat a handful of them while you're passing through. It also said you could go through his grain field, wheat, barley, whatever it was. You could take a few heads in your hand, rub it out, eat a little, eat a little grain. Right there, I've done that a bunch of times in a wheat field. It's good. He said you can do that. He said just as long as you don't put, put any in a vessel to carry with you. Amen? Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't put the sickle in their crop. It's not yours. But you can take a little to eat on. Perfectly lawful. Perfectly legal. Nothing wrong with that. But then uh, it goes deeper than that in Matthew's account. And I, I do want us to take a moment and look at that. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, we get Matthew's account. Now, I think the reason that Mark doesn't go into any greater detail than that because Mark was predominantly written... The Gospel of Mark was for the Roman culture, the Roman world. And uh, a, Roman, a Roman citizen had no need. He, he cared not for Jewish history. He cared not for the law. He cared not for any of those things. He wasn't worried about it. So Mark addressed that certain group of people, but now Matthew was written for the Jew. And let's look at this. It, it gives you a little different aspect on these things. 
And verses 3 through 8 give us that explanation. Now, we're not going to look at 3 and 4 because we've already talked about David. He brings that up. But let's look at about the priest, the priests themselves. Look at verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. You see, in the Old Testament, according to the law of Moses, the Aaronic priesthood and all those things, the Levitical priesthood, it was constant. You know, all of the, the sacrifices, all of the cleansing rituals, all of these things, and they were in there seven days a week, tending to the, the altar, tending to the, the lampstand, keeping the fire burning, keeping the candles lit, keep all this stuff they were sacrificing in there. And now Jesus himself says that they desecrate. Now this old King James says profane, but that's what that word means, to desecrate. They desecrate the Sabbath. Every Sabbath day, they desecrate it, but it also says that they're blameless or they're innocent. They're guiltless in this. Why? They were employed by Almighty God Himself. Why would God destroy them for something He told them to do? Makes absolutely no sense. So the priest, even though they profane it, even though they desecrate it, He also said, well, they're guiltless. They're guiltless. Because they are serving me. And you see, it's more important my heart's motivation than it is me keeping the letter of the law. Amen? You know, you can do something right that's right and be wrong. Because you did it with an ungrateful heart. You did it with a bad attitude. You did it just out of a sense of duty and not out of a sense of love. Have you ever done anything because you just had to? But you griped and grumbled under your breath? And you talked about the people that you were serving? I hate to tell you this, but God doesn't accept that when we do that. I can do the right thing and still be wrong. If I don't do what I do because I love you, I need to get down and leave this place right now. But thank God He doesn't do that to us. Thank God He loves us the way we are. And then verses 7 and 8, have to deal with what the prophet Hosea said. But if you had known what this means, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Amen. So what did the prophet Hosea teach us? Just simply this. You can give all the money you want to. You can come every Sunday, not miss a Sunday. You can check off. You can get the stars at Sunday school. Never miss a beat. You can read your Bible every day. You can do all those things, and at the end of the day, it means nothing without mercy, without compassion, without love. That's, we live in a world nowadays where the focus is all on me instead of Him. And it's even in the church. We like to blame the lost world. Folks, if the church wasn't in such a desperate condition, this lost world would be better off because of us. We have been regulated into irrelevance because of our lack of compassion for a lost and dying world. And the prophet Hosea says, 
I don't care about your money. I don't need any of that. I don't need your attendance. I don't need you to sit in a pew. I need you to show mercy and compassion to a lost and dying world. So it's not as important as we think about what happens in here for an hour on Sunday as much as it is what I do with those other hours of my week and my day. That's what he's most concerned about. So, the law always protects and provides. It never, never brings us harm. So Jesus is saying, you guys have made this a burden too hard for people to carry. And you need to stop. Let's move on back to Mark and we'll look at we'll start we'll take a look at the first 6 verses there in chapter 3. It says there in Mark chapter 3 and he entered again into the synagogue. Now we've moved from the grain field which and by the way this thought ran through my mind before we leave the grain field. Why were those Pharisees out there anyway on the Sabbath day? You ever thought about that? I'm I'm kind of cynical, brother. I think they were there to pick a fight. I think my carnal redneck nature would have kind of flared up at that moment. Jesus handled it a lot better than I would. I'd have just shown them the right hand of Christian fellowship. Been done with it. Amen. Let's move on. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Boy, isn't that something? They watched him. I don't know this for sure. The Bible doesn't really say it. I got a feeling they planted this guy. Possibly. It said they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Two warring factions. The Herodians had nothing to do with the Pharisees. This, isn't that what's going on today? Enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ that have nothing to do with each other are coming together to destroy our faith right now today. We see it all around us in our this cancel culture stuff. You're seeing all kind of groups that have nothing to do with each other come together. Why? Because they are going to persecute the Lord's church in these last days. And folks, there is coming a day, you mark my words, hear me, there will be a day very soon when apostate Christians that have never truly been born again will lead true, genuine believers to prison and to worse. I know it's coming. Jesus promised us it would, and those days are near. They're not just near, they're here, and it could be any moment when you, will, you and I will have to truly pay with our, our very lives for being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, and they'll do it all in the name of Christianity. It's amazing. 
but it's here. And you better decide whose side you're on because there's a lot of people that are fighting for a lot of causes out there, but it's not Christ. And it may be some good in what they're doing, but when you throw Jesus out of the mix, you've got nothing. So, it shifts now from an open grain field to the church. Because that's what a synagogue is. That's, it's just a, an assembling of Jewish people just like the church of today, the New Testament church of today would be. Now, we always associate the word church and synagogue with a building, don't we? Let's be honest. We do. That word was never intended for that. Never was. Never was meant to be in our hearts and minds a picture of a building somewhere. You know what the word church means? The English word church means when you see it in an English Bible? It, it's the Greek word ekklesia. You know what the word ekklesia means, right? It means called out ones. It's an assembly coming together of the called out ones that the Lord has called out of this world. You see, we can assemble at Waffle House. We can assemble under a shade tree out here. We can assemble at my house. We can assemble at Walmart. We can assemble anywhere. This is just a building that has specifically been built for this function. But this building is not the church. And I find it interesting that our Lord is entering in to the congregation. He's entering in to this assembly. He's entering in this group. And He's going to find this mixture of people in it. He's going to find a man with great need who needs healing. He's going to find a group of people that are there simply to accuse him. They're watching him. And so, my second thought is this. We're nearing the end, finally. My second main thought is this. Simply, Jesus' presence either brings hope, healing, and deliverance, or it brings condemnation and destruction. See, one, one, one man left there healed. One man left there joyful. One man left there rejoicing, never looking back on his old life, on his own inhibitions. He, he was healed completely. And I think, I, don't, I think he left there singing hallelujah. And there was another group that left there. We have got to do away with this man. How can we Get rid of this guy. And it's the same thing that's going on right now today. Well, let's take a look at it. Jesus was there to heal. They were there to harm. See, Jesus walks in, sees the man immediately, and what does He do? He tells him, stand forth. I'm going to take care of this. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to make you whole. You don't have to live another day like this. But what were they doing? They watched Him. But I want to say this to you. <coughs> we never just watch. If you're watching, looking for something to accuse someone of, eventually that's going to spill over into action against them. Because you see, they weren't simply observing Verse 6 says it. They straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might, what? 
destroy him. This stuff about peaceful coexistence is baloney. You see those bumper stickers on people's cars with the Star of David and the, the Hindu deal and the Christian fish and all that. And let's just all join hands and get us a Coke and sing la 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 and kumbaya and all the rest. It ain't going to happen. Jesus said you're either with me or you're against me, but you can't be this funny little mixture of both. It just don't work. So there it is. Jesus was there to heal. Jesus was there to restore. Jesus was there to deliver. And they were there to watch, condemn, accuse, and destroy. So you can't have it both ways. One man received redemption and another man received restoration. One man received spiritual wealth and the other crowd received wrath. The Bible says that Jesus looked on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. I looked up that word anger. I didn't want to make an assumption again. And now, I'm not a Greek scholar by no means. I just have a concordance and I have some things that, online that I look into. But the, the Greek tense of that word anger is a... What it describes is, is like a temporary... flat. Have you, have you ever just flamed up for a second and then got over it and went and had a blizzard and everything was good? That's really what he did. His anger was genuine and, and by the way, it was legitimate. Amen? He had a right to be angry over what they were doing, but his anger passed. But that word grieved, when you look it up, the Greek word, the Greek form of the word, he carried that with him from that place. It was something that never left him. The hardness of their heart grieved him to the point of he carried it with him wherever he went. Wherever he was in confrontation with them, it grieved him in his soul. And friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with grieving my Lord. His anger is but for a moment. Hallelujah. But joy comes in the morning. But grieving Him brings dire consequences that I just really don't want to have to deal with. So the best thing we can all do is just let the Lord deal with our hearts. Get the hardness out of my heart. I can't do anything about my enemies. I can't do anything about those people who don't like me. Would you believe there's people out there that don't like me? It's crazy. There's people that don't like you too. Now, I hope, I pray to God it's not too many. But if you live for Jesus, you will gather up some enemies. Amen? And it's good to have the right kind of enemies just like it's good to have the right kind of friends. I've got a friend that heals and delivers and redeems and restores. And you do too. So let's focus on Him. Let him have his way. You know, I can live my life in liberty. I can live my life to the fullest or I can go into lockdown. Do you realize right now, and this is not a debate about, I, please don't misunderstand. You've heard me say this before about this virus. I don't, this is not something like, this has killed people. And I understand that. But at the same time, you know, they ended the lockdown. They're 100% open in Texas and I think now Mississippi and maybe Arkansas is doing the same thing. 
Do you realize there are still people that are living in fear? They're they're in bondage even though the governor says you're free. They're still in bondage. And I'm not saying be foolish, take unnecessary risk. I'm not saying don't protect, don't take measures. But what I am saying is this, living in fear will never bring the will of God in our life. Never! It brings bondage. And I will not live in bondage. I will live free because He has made me whole and He has made me glad. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You, God, that You loved us enough to cast aside Your glories in heaven, to come to this sin-cursed earth, to wear a robe of flesh, to suffer, to endure pain, separation, agony, (coughs) grief. And You did that all for us. So Lord God, have Your way. May we never be part of that crowd that's obstructing justice. May we never be part of that crowd that's watching only so that we might accuse. But God, help us to actively be a part of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. Lord God, have your way in our life. Thank you for this moment. If there's anyone here today that uh, needs to do business with you, I pray that right now in their hearts, they're, they're tending to that as we speak. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus.